Hi, and welcome to the Legal LGBT Podcast. I'm Eric Lesh, Executive Director of Legal, the LGBT Bar of New York. There are nearly one million adult immigrants in the United States that self-identify as LGBTQ. I'm here with Sharita Gruberg. Sharita is the director of the Policy LGBT Research and Communications Project at the Center for American Progress. We're going to be talking about the immigration and asylum obstacles and issues that are directly harming LGBTQ people. Sharita and I will also discuss solutions to better serve LGBTQ immigrants and how we can build welcoming communities. Hi, Sharita. How are you? Hi, I'm doing great. How are you? Good. I'm so glad that I get to, well, we're here at Lavender Law, which is the always place really, to be. it's the place to be. And what's so special about it is I get to see advocates from different states and cities where it's so hard to interact, but everybody comes to one space. You've got all the experts. So I wanted to nail you down um, and get you to talk about, I mean, you're an expert at CAP in pretty much everything. We were just talking about 1557. So you do healthcare, research and policy. We're going to talk about immigration today, if that's mm -hmm. okay with you. Always. <laughs> um, so it's going to be a, ro you're going to paint a very rosy picture. Oh yeah. It's, you know, we are just so welcoming. Um, everything is going great. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing horrific is undermining legal principles that we've established for decades. Wow. Well, let's get into some of those things, but I wonder, because this is a legal podcast and you have such an interesting background. Can you talk about how you arrived at, um, you've worked with refugee organizations at the UN, um, and so can you talk about how you landed in your particular career path where you're focusing on research, policy, healthcare, immigration, all LGBT, but a lot of immigration issues too? Sure. I mean, I'm sure like everybody else, it was very direct. I started out in repro, landed at an organization that did reproductive uh, health access for refugees and also did asylum immigration detention work and decided I liked that. Mm -hmm. And so went to law school to learn how to actually do direct service. Okay. And then clearly now I'm doing policy after right. doing uh, refugee resettlement at the UN for a bit. Wow. Uh, so a very clear, direct path. Um, but it's been interesting, and uh, CAP is a fun place to be because, as you said, the LGBT team as, is as intersectional as the organization. CAP yeah. has about 22 policy teams right now, okay. uh, and I feel like the LGBT team really mirrors the institution because everything is an LGBT issue. So we try right. to tell the story and explain the impact of uh, different policies on uh, LGBT people. How does your direct legal services work in this area impact the way that you approach research and the way that you write about this topic? I think it's it's been really helpful because you know you have the policies, you have the laws, but coming from the um, you know I've represented people in detention, I've done cases, so I think I have. It's given me a sense of okay, this is how it actually plays out. Mm -hmm. um, and it helped me build my network. So I still work a lot with people who are uh, practicing, who I can call up and bounce ideas off of them or ask them, okay, well, what's really happening here? Mm. I know how horrific this policy looks. Right. And inadvertently these days they say, oh, it's way worse than you can imagine right. for these reasons. Um, so I think having that real perspective of how the policies impact people and practitioners is 
incredibly helpful to make sure that the policies we are recommending actually mm -hmm. do um, address the problems we're trying to solve. Great. So I guess there's no way around it. We'll get into the weeds of how bad um, things are. The Trump administration has been relentless in its attacks against immigrants from apprehension to detentions to deportations. The approach has been um, aggressive, to say the least, unspeakably cruel, even deadly. Um, how would you describe the last two and a half years from your perspective as an advocate and your knowledge about the actual impact on immigrants and families? Um, I mean, it, as you said, it's concerning on a lot of levels. It, there's the policy changes that are going to make it harder for people uh, in the future. And then I think there's the impact of just the way that the conversations are framed. Mm -hmm. um, on people in this country who are living here and their feelings of belonging and safety. I mean, Saturday's uh, attack in El Paso was horrific and heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And I think kind of realized our deepest fears with the rhetoric that we're seeing. Um, we've all been really afraid. And, you know, this isn't the first hate crime we've seen under this administration um, against Latinx folks. Um, and I think the, it's both the direct impacts of the policies on the people they're targeting, mm -hmm. um, but also just how people feel in this country and how comfortable people are in this country and how safe they feel. Um, and they are, we're seeing that on a lot of levels. People don't feel comfortable getting assistance from law enforcement because they're worried about their status. Right. Um, we've heard from LGBT clinics, there's this one, one of the terrible proposals is going after people from for who access different benefits. Traditionally, there was a bar to um, naturalizing if you got certain cash benefits. Mm. Uh, this administration, to bolster their claim that immigrants are taking things from taxpayers, which is false, they pay a pay lot in taxes, taxes yeah. um, is expanding that to prohibit a lot more people from being able to uh, become citizens because they access benefits that them and their families are entitled to mm -hmm. and need. Um, and I, another impact is there's the direct prohibitions of what people are, would be allowed to access under this public charge rule, but then there's the assumptions people have and the fear people have. And we've heard from people who serve people who are HIV positive, mm -hmm. who this rule wouldn't impact their access to care. Mm -hmm. Um, that wouldn't be an impediment to getting uh, green cards or citizenship, but they think it would be. So mm -hmm. they haven't been going to get treatment right. that they need and that they are entitled to. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, somebody uh, framed this as the cruelty is the point, yeah. and it's not an unintended consequence of this administration uh, that people aren't accessing services that they are entitled to. It is, I, I believe one of the intended consequences is creating this fear and feeling that you don't belong, that you shouldn't be here, that you aren't part of the communities. That and that it's in. sweeping. I mean, you mentioned El Paso and there were the reports that folks were afraid to seek medical attention. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've all been dealing with in New York State, we've prevented, um, you know, folks from sweeping into courthouses. Um, and targeting immigrants there. Also in El Paso, there was a trans woman that tried to get a temporary restraining order against her abuser. Right. And the abuser was working with um, immigration enforcement. And they picked her up 
at court when she was trying to get a TRO. And they were allowed to do that, which is horrific. Um, so what does that say to kind of basic issues of safety for our community? Right. Um, well, one of the articles that I was reading that you published um, talked about um, the, the impact of some of Trump's policies, but also um, a little bit of the evolution of how um, LGBT people have been discriminated against um, LGBT immigrants in this country for quite a while. Can you talk a little bit about that evolution and that this isn't a new phenomenon, to, even though it's um, more aggressive and targeted and perhaps visible? Sure. I mean, things had been bad. Uh, somehow it's gotten worse. So, you know, the 1965 immigration law barred LGBT people from entering the country. Uh, there was the HIV ban that wasn't lifted until 2010. Um, bars to LGBT people even coming in stayed until 1990. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't until fairly recently that we've seen changes. So, you know, until DOMA um, was ruled unconstitutional, you couldn't bring, marry, uh, you, your spouse couldn't get immigration benefits like everybody else. So we were separating families long before the Trump administration separated families. Um, we saw some progress under Obama in some fronts, but not in others. He deported more immigrants than any of his predecessors and really expanded the tools and set that precedent that Trump is taking to um, extents that we never thought possible. Uh, so it's one of the things where it was bad, now it's gotten even worse than we'd ever imagined. Um, I, I also, you know, the laws themselves are very problematic and leave a lot of room for abuse and leaving pe vulnerable people out mm -hmm. um, in the immigration context, and we definitely need to reform the laws we have. What we're seeing right now is a wholesale disregard for <laughs> the laws that we do have. Okay. Um, so taking, for example, uh, the right to seek asylum. We are obligated by treaty to <laughs> protect refugees. Like this is not something that one administration can just change or right. Although Stephen Miller seems to think the, otherwise. Yeah. But like this is a treaty obligation that has been in place for decades and is also codified in our own laws. Yeah. And yet every opportunity they can to not just they started out by, oh, if you're here. Uh, we're not really going to allow you to have a claim if your um, claim is based on some of these grounds that were previously recognized, so domestic violence, gang violence, mm -hmm. um, things like that. Then they said, well, you're not even allowed to pursue a claim for asylum here. You have to go back to Mexico and wait in Mexico, which is absurd. Yeah. Um, and People are fleeing violence and persecution. I mean, for queer people right. in, in a very distinct way, there's the fear of, of death. Um, uh, and Mexico's not, Mexico's definitely not safe for trans people waiting right. there. And it's not safe for any of these people because people, we're hearing stories of people being abducted and held ransom. And so the U.S. is directly placing asylum seekers back in harm's way and violating their due process rights. They're sending them back. They're not coming to their court dates because they're not notifying them of their court dates. Less than 3% of the people sent back have lawyers. So they're eroding basic due process rights and just the ability to make 
a claim for protection. And I've heard that, are they trying to get rid of translators in yeah. immigration court? That too. Um, so, yeah, so in many ways, this is, we always talk about immigration as if we need reform, but the laws that we have are being, much like this president's approach to pretty much ev anything, are being kind of, the respect from the rule of law is just being toppled. Exactly. Uh, he's nothing but consistent in that regard. So um, one of the horrific uh, stories that we saw recently, um, you know, we've heard about uh, family separation, some uh, death and detention facilities. The latest one was about kids being separated from their parents on the basis of their parents' HIV status. Can you talk about that and some of the things maybe, you know, sure. that we might not even have or have cut through, something that you... Well, I think this, we hear a lot about the camps and the cages on the border, and this goes to a bigger issue. Um, these are um, CBP, uh, Customs and Border Protection, hold, hold cells. They're not supposed to be used for more than 72 hours. They're just for intakes, processing, and then you get people out. People are there for weeks, months at a time now. Mm -hmm. And these are not equipped for that. They don't have food. They don't have showers. Right. They don't have the same standards that, in as much as I think we're overusing and abusing detention, detention facilities have medical standards. They have safety standards. There's some system in place understanding that people would be there for more than 72 hours. These facilities don't have that. So they were never intended for anyone to be there for weeks or months at a time mm -hmm. for the first part. And I think that's part of one of the reasons we're seeing some of these really horrific um, incidences of medical care denials, because they're not equipped to give that care, or even those basic screenings. So for the um, two trans women who died from complications related to HIV, you know, they were not supposed to be in those facilities that long. They were transferred between facilities. It was weeks before they even got a screening to see what they had. Um, or be, and by that point, it was far later than it needed to be. So because they're holding people for longer, they're not, and the reason they're holding people for longer in these hold cells is they're holding everybody in detention without letting people go. So, you know, there's a finite number of beds, even though somehow, despite Congress telling DHS they couldn't detain more than 40,000 people by September, they're at over 55,000 people. We have more people detained right now in immigration detention than ever in history. They're not funded for that. They're yeah. just not letting people out. So then you don't have a, you know, they're not releasing anybody. They're detaining people. They're using up all the beds. They don't have places to put people. So you have people in these temporary hold cells for really long periods of time. And that's where you're having these kids in these horrible conditions that are not appropriate for children under any stretch of the imagination. Um, you have, as you said, separating the parents with HIV from their kids, which makes no sense. HIV hasn't been a communicable disease by CDC or DHS standards for years now. And so then they came up with some other excuse and they backtracked a little bit and said, oh, it's not because it's communicable, but we're able to make this case-by-case -case determination on people, which is absurd. Yeah. There's no reason why you should be separating a kid from their parent just because the parent has HIV. Um, but it seems like, you know, Making life as hard as possible for people seeking protection in the country is their priority, and they want people to give up. They think this mistreatment can be a deterrent and keep people from coming to seek protection, but we know that that's not the case. 
it's push factors. It's not pull factors. Mm -hmm. People aren't coming here because no matter what the rumors are, that things are so great or that people have access to um, services or protections that don't actually exist, it's very minimal. Um, they're coming because they don't have a choice. If your choice is death or being detained and mistreated, you're going to pick being detained and mistreated because death is the other option. And I don't think this administration fully comprehends or cares about that. And I think that if they just make things so intolerable, they can stop people from exercising their right for, to try to secure protection. So let's talk about some successes, maybe, um, that we've been seeing, you know, either um, in legal challenges to uh, the Trump administration's policies and also the way that um, activists Mm -hmm. are working to create some accountability and, um, you know, garner public attention and build uh, broader support, um, uh, you know, and, and knowledge about what's going on. Can you talk about the positive developments? Sure. I mean, positive developments, a lot of these uh, horrible anti-asylum proposals have been enjoined. Okay. Um, unfortunately, the migration protection protocols are still in place and they're still enforcing it, but this uh, so-called safe third country rule where they thought that people should be secure, asking for asylum in the countries that they're going through oh, to right. get to the yeah. U.S. should have asked for it there and that means they're not eligible here, which is contrary to our own immigration laws where you need an official safe third country agreement to qualify for that, which we don't have. Right. Uh, so that was enjoined, thankfully. Um, you know, uh, DACA is still there. Yeah. Um, despite this administration's best attempts to get rid of it, we still have DACA. Uh-huh. Um, and so... That's something to be very grateful for. Uh, it's horrible that we have that Congress hasn't passed uh, the Dream Act and hasn't um, taken care of. You know, we have a lot of people who graduated high school, reached the age where they qualified for DACA, but because they aren't really doing new applications, um, you know, it's only renewals right now. We we need Congress to act and really strengthen these protections and expand it, um, but. Yeah, we still have it, and people are still protected. Uh, we're expecting this final rule on public charge. That's probably going to be enjoined as well because mm-hmm. it's so outside of the scope of what uh, the administration is allowed to do in terms of prohibiting people from um, getting a green card because, or immigration status because of accessing certain benefits. Um, their attacks on asylum more broadly and who qualifies uh, in they've been the courts have managed to at least hold the line on those protections okay. uh, the Trump administration is announcing that they're not taking any refugees next year it's also going to, getting a lot of pushback mm-hmm. um, and we've seen from the advocates a lot of people pushing back with child sep- family separation there was a huge outcry. The family detention expansion that they tried didn't work either. A court ruled, no, you can't hold families indefinitely in jail. That's absurd. Right. Um, so I think every single one of these really cruel policies, uh, there's been great public outcry and the, between advocates uh, and the courts, we've been able to stem a lot of the bad things. Right. But I, not everything. I remember, I mean, one of the very first um, uh, 
you know, areas where particularly lawyers were rising up around um, Trump administration policies were was around the travel ban. Um, and so um, one of the reports that I read was about how, that you authored, was about how immigrants who have a lawyer are nearly six times more likely to prevail in court than immigrants lacking representation. Um, how are the organizations that provide legal services meeting the high demand and effectively partnering with private law firms to meet the needs of immigrants? You know, how it, it, are, are people being served? I mean, it's never enough. Yeah. Uh, I think that's what we hear a lot. Uh, there's a lot being done. Uh, there's a lot of really great legal service providers um, who've been able to expand, like Raices, for example, has grown so much. Um, but unfortunately, as big as these organizations get, the need's still bigger. I'm really heartened by some of the ways that cities have tried to step in. So New York, for example, um, has uh, funded legal defense for immigrants and removal proceedings. DC does that. Mm. A growing number of cities are stepping in and trying to meet that gap where the federal government is not providing counsel. Um, so that's great. Law firms, as you said, have been um, really great at working with um, organizations to provide representation. And we've seen a lot of enthusiasm there as well to um, meet these needs. But it's there's always more need than we have. And as I said, when they're returning people to Mexico, it's really hard to get attorneys <laughs> to help people who are in Tijuana. Right. Um, that's another added layer of difficulty that they're creating, and they know that. Um, the legal need for LGBT immigrants is not limited to immigration assistance. Obviously, there are multiple intersecting areas where people are in need of care. I read in the pub publication that you authored about the unauthorized transgender woman who was living in Miami who was told by a landlord to pay three months' rent up front in order to secure an apartment. She paid the money, but it turned out there was no rentable apartment, and as a result, she became homeless. What are some of the ways that discrimination in other areas of the law, like housing, employment, and health care, is impacting LGBT immigrants? In the same ways that it's impacting LGBT people more broadly, uh, except it's compounded by, I think, uh, a lot of fear, especially if you don't have um, authorized status. Uh, you're more vulnerable and more worried to uh, try to defend your rights, if you have rights, mm -hmm. um, because you're afraid of getting on the federal government's radar. And, think it, and that is used against people a lot. You do hear... Uh, cases of people whose landlords know that they don't have status and um, use that to uh, try to exploit them. Right. You mis mentioned domestic violence situations. And yes, the Anti-Violence Project does a lot of uh, reporting around incidents of violence against unauthorized LGBTQ immigrants. Um, and the fear of if they go to seek assistance that it'll be them that gets apprehended. Uh, which is why it's so concerning when we see these agreements between law enforcement um, and immigration enforcement. It's really important to keep the two separate. They serve mm -hmm. very different roles. Mm -hmm. um, and it does hurt the community's sense of safety and um, if they aren't able to go to law enforcement because they're afraid of getting turned over. So two more questions for you. One is also positive. Let's say you're the next president's advisor on immigration policy. What are some of your top priorities or what is most needed? Um, I mean, it, you know, 
we definitely do need Congress to step in and fix a lot of things, but there's also a lot that uh, the president can do to undo a lot of the harm and damage that we've seen under this administration. Um, I think definitely reallocating the resources. We need more immigration judges. Mm -hmm. Um, We have an enormous backlog in cases that needs to be handled. Uh, Just doing cases faster doesn't help. The judges are really overburdened and need more support and resources. Um, Scaling back detention, there's no reason why we should be detaining 55,000 people a day. We did a study even under Obama that 88% of LGBT people in detention then were releasable. They weren't required by law to detain these people. It costs about $160 per person per day in detention. It costs cents to put people in community-based alternatives. We know they're effective. Um, There's just no reason why we are expanding the use of this and just solely to benefit private prison companies. Um, So I think cutting down that will help refocus resources and be able to... um, address that. We need to bring back the refugee program. That's another thing that the president could do. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have more displaced people in the world than ever before. And for LGBT people, it is so critical that they get resettled as soon as possible because the places that they're waiting are not safe either. Um, So we really need to bring back the refugee resettlement program and strengthen it up. Um, We need to keep, we need to restore the rule of law to our immigration system, basically. Like, as we are pushing for um, comprehensive immigration reform and co- and to fix some of the um, gaps we have in the law, there's still a lot that can be done in enforcing the law um, as it was meant to be enforced. That's great. Um, it's a broad agenda. And just in closing, because the session's getting ready to start in here, thanks for ducking in and taking time with me. I really appreciate it. Do you have a call to action for lawyers that may be listening of what they can do to get involved? Um, yes. So I know uh, Lawyers for Good Governance is always looking for folks to volunteer. Um, the National Lawyers Guild also does a lot of work uh, with folks in Tijuana, um, Raises is another place that is looking for support. So I think a lot of, if you have a firm, um, making sure that your uh, pro bono department is tapped into some of these groups. I know immigration equality is always looking for uh, firms to work with and partner with. Um, Also commenting, uh, this administration has been doing a lot in the regulatory space, attacking immigrant rights. So weighing in there on why these policies are contrary to the law, which every single rule that they put forward has been, which is why they keep getting enjoined when they're in final rule stage, Uh um, is another way to get involved. And also at the city level, there's a lot you can do making sure that your city is protecting everybody in your city um, and taking a stand for your neighbors. Sharita, thank you so much for talking with me today. Thanks for having me. And thank you so much for listening. This and other episodes can be found on iTunes or at legal.podbean.com. We'll be back next week with the latest edition of the Law Notes episode of the Legal LGBT Podcast with Professor Art Leonard of New York Law School.